Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. My brother, sloppy, lacks about any kind of standard. If a corner needs cutting, he's going to cut that corner. Except for one weird thing. Aquariums. This guy, Mr. Slipshod, Mr. Dreamy, is super meticulous about his aquariums. Temperatures calibrated within half a degree. pH levels checked, rechecked, salinity monitored. He loves aquariums. Often keeping four or five enormous tanks at a time. Salt water, fresh water, even brackish tanks, mimicking areas that churn fresh and salt water together. Every tank a work of art. Brightly colored fish swimming through fluorescent coral, seaweed, floating plants, ground cover. This riot of life. He says he's trying to create the perfect ecosystem. Looking at him, bent over his reverse osmosis water dual filtration machine like a proud papa. You see, he loves these fish like he birthed them himself. Some even swim to his hand as he strokes their belly. It's wild. And that's why helping him clean his prized freshwater tank, I ask him, why? Why? Why are you going to put this crazy, ugly Oscar fish into the tank? This glorious, beautiful tank. You know it's aggressive. You know it's going to eat all the pretty fish. He looks at me. Almost like he's sad. And he says, you know, there is no perfect ecosystem without a killer. week on snap in celebration of the season we're featuring supernatural stories from our evil twin podcast spooked spook starts now
and every aquarium is its own contained world. And one of the best aquariums is in Monterey Bay, California. Years ago, Kevin Wright, he worked as a security guard there. But it was years before that when he was just a little kid when he fell in love with the place on his very first visit. Spooked. I was a little giddy. The light bouncing off the fish and the kelp. Seeing the octopus glide across the windows, almost like it was flying underwater. You get the sense that you're swimming in the ocean. How cool is that? I remember going in to see the kelp forest. The entire ecosystem from the bottom of the ocean all the way to the surface where the canopy is. That thing looks like it's as big as a skyscraper. I had the same awe that you would have standing in front of the giant trees and cliffs in Yosemite. I've been at the aquarium 21 years now. Little kid me would not believe that I get paid to look at this kelp forest. (laughs) My job was to patrol this giant place. The building is huge. It's three and a half acres. The property that the aquarium sits on, people have been on that land for thousands of years. 50,000 years ago, indigenous tribes were following the kelp forests that hugged the west coast of North America. And they migrated south and settled in the Monterey Bay. Then there was a Chinese fishing village. It was actually burnt down. There was the Sicilians who came here and overfished sardines. Overnight, the canning industry shut down. The aquarium is sitting in the footprint of one of the last canneries to close. Certain parts of it still hold that same footprint and look and feel. My first night working a night shift, I was super excited. Walking around through the splash zone and the tropical fish. I stood and watched the Mola Mola for a while. It's the largest bony fish in the world. Looks like a giant floating head. They're like missiles in the water. And then I watched the white shark glide around this million-gallon tank for several minutes. And the other fish moved out of the way and kept distance. I felt so lucky to be working here. Of course, everyone else like, yeah, okay, man, you got seven more hours of this. You got to calm down. Pretty soon after I started, the security officers that had been there for a while loved to start chiming in with little ghost stories that they had heard or things that they had experienced. There are stories of a woman in a wedding dress swimming across the kelp forest like she's a scuba diver. There are stories of a woman in a black evening gown as if the person didn't leave the event that was there that night. You go to escort her out of the building and then she's gone. 
stories of footprints, wet footprints, leaving the building. And when you get to the threshold of the door, the footprints stop. So I just kind of passed it off as, man, this is just folklore that people are passing down from year to year. One night, I was going over to where our vault was, and I pulled on the door, just like any other night, shake the handle, handles locked, doors locked, doors latched, moving on to the next door. A couple minutes later, I get a call from the dispatcher who said, Hey, can you go back and check the vault? The door just swung open. I knew I had latched it. I was just really uneasy. So I go back, I check the door. Sure enough, it's wide open. I called dispatch and asked, Hey, who else proxed into the door? And the dispatcher relayed back, No one's buzzed into that door. We looked at the video, it was just you. I didn't believe him. I go back to the dispatch office, I play the tape. You see me check the door, you see me grab the handle, shake it and pull pretty hard on the door and walk on. And in a couple minutes, sure as can be, you see the door slowly swing open. I got goosebumps on my arms. It was like that moment when you go over the little hill too fast and your stomach kind of gets that wobble. I don't like this. I had two theories. Someone was either inside and hiding on a camera site or when the air conditioner turned on, it changed the pressure in the room and it forced the door open. But when I went to the room, no one was inside. We watched the video. No one was in the room before or after. And when we went to the room, the air handlers were not on. I didn't cast off people's ghost stories as easily after that. I would take any creak and odd noise with a little more suspicion and spend some more time with my flashlight in those areas. I wanted to find something that was tangible that I could prove that it was not a ghost, it was one of the other staff playing a trick or a door that just is faulty. One night I was coming across the bridge into the dark the bridge links the two ends of the building together. Behind me, I could hear someone jingling their keys. I turned around. No one was there. Probably just me hearing something. As you turn into the drifter's gallery, where all the, the jellies are, there's zero windows and zero light. I could hear keys jingling behind me again. This sound was very distinct and right behind me. 
someone was walking up behind me. I turned around, turned the flashlight on. Nobody's there. I was like, Essex, is that you? Essex was a, a big, big guy. He had a deep, baritone voice. I look around the exhibits to see if he's hiding behind one of the signs or something. Nothing. Figured I'm going to play along with this stupid game. Do my rounds. About three or four minutes later, I hear the keys behind me. I spun around. Essex, come on, it's not funny. I got things to do. No Essex. So I get on the radio. Bases. Where's Essex? Essex answers the radio. I just got back from my lunch. What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going back to the office because I don't feel comfortable. There was just this sense that I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be out here right now. This could be the night. I'm going to see the woman in the evening gown at the Open Sea exhibit. I needed to go back to the office. Back to where the light is and where other people are. It was the longest walk I've ever taken back to the office. And it's probably only about 300 feet. I was coming across the bridge. I had to walk by this life-size model of an orca. This model, it's a little creepy because I remember looking at this large whale with an open-toothed mouth kind of smiling at you. And I can feel this cold breeze brushing against my arm as though something was walking past me. Every ounce of me did not want to be on the bridge anymore. I remember coming into the office, flinging the door open pretty hard to get inside the lit room. I tried to explain the sound of the keys and the feeling of someone moving past me on the bridge. The dispatcher thought I was just being goofy. And everyone else is like, I'm not buying the story. I'm like, nah. I know what I felt and heard. After that, when I knew there was other people that were working shifts, I was very clear when I'd go to do rounds. Okay, where is Chris working? Or where's Sandrine working tonight? I didn't want to bump into them thinking it was something else, but I also wanted to know exactly where they were. I was morbidly afraid of the woman in the evening gown. About three months later, I'm at the aquarium in the dark. We have this giant rotunda-shaped room that has a ring of sardines in the ceiling. Thousands of sardines swimming together, all in one direction at the same time. Imagine looking up to see a shimmering silver and blue ring swimming around your head. 
you'll often see guests in this area lay down and stare up because it's so relaxing and, and mellow. I was coming across the bridge, and I could see Essex at the other end of the bridge. I couldn't see details, but the way that they walked, stood, the size, it was Essex. He walked over and lied down on the ground. I shouted at him, Essex, what are you doing? I get up to him, and as I, I start to say again, Essex, what are you doing? Essex, from behind me, goes, What are you talking about? I turn around, and Essex is standing behind me. I whipped my head back around, and the figure on the ground was gone. He's like, what's your problem? I just saw you in front of me, laying down in front of the sardines. He's like, how can that? I'm standing right here. I just saw you lay down like you're taking a nap. He looked at me, serious? I'm like, yes. And he's like, I'm not doing rounds anymore tonight. He refused to go back out on the floor. I was a believer after that. I think I saw a ghost. About a year went by. Strange things started to happen at the Look Down exhibit. It's where you look down at the shale reef from above, and it's got these floating magnifying glasses. So you can look at the cup corals and the anemones and the scallops and little clams that they would live in this habitat in the wild. The person in charge of the exhibit started to notice that things were missing. She would put in smaller crabs and some scallops and clams and things like that. And over a short period of time, they would disappear. It was a little frustrating because... We have special permits to collect these things. We don't have an unlimited supply. She couldn't figure out why things just kept disappearing. So around this time, it was one of my turns to do training for the grave shift. And Claire was the trainee that we had just hired. We always do an orientation walk after we close. She and I were coming around the corner, and it goes from a very well-lit area to pretty dark. And I was pointing out this exhibit on the right. You always want to make sure you're listening for water overflowing the top. And we're shining our lights at the base of the, the exhibits so you don't let the light startle the fish. Clara sees something on the carpet. There's something over there. Six, seven feet away from the closest exhibit. We shine our lights on it. It looks slimy and wet. Just sitting there like this cold, wet lump. My heart jumped. Something's not right. 
this thing was round and at the end kind of moving ever so slightly like just tickling the air putting feelers out so as we walked up to it and shined the light on it we both realized this is an octopus it took me a couple seconds to get the heart rate back down I didn't want to go home and say I got bit by an octopus today that beak is pretty sharp it can crush shells I called animal care to pick it up they put it in the exhibit once it got into the water it sat there for a couple seconds and then scurried over underneath some of the shale like octopus do the next morning we get a radio call from the animal handler that takes care of that exhibit Barb was like we don't put octopus in that exhibit I swear, I'm telling you, there's an octopus in there. Sure enough, she takes apart the exhibit, she finds it, and she comes back and she's like, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about it. That octopus probably came in on one of the shale rocks that we installed a little while ago as a stowaway and has been eating all the things that I've been putting in because that's what it does at night. It comes out and forages and hunts. And then got to a size where it was too big for it and decided it would go to the next tide pool, not knowing that the tide pool was actually inside a building. I thought, how funny is that, that this little stowaway octopus has probably been in there for a month or two, just living its best life. (laughs) And no one knew. I'm in a different job now. Now I'm in charge of the public programs. And thank God I don't have to patrol at night anymore. The mystery of the octopus and the missing clams and scallops, that got solved. I'm still working on the other mysteries. Thanks so much to Kevin Wright into the magical Monterey Bay Aquarium. And thanks as well to KAZU Radio in Monterey, California for all your assistance. The original score for that story was by Yari Bundy and Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Ann Ford. Now, Have you ever been scared of that monster under your bed? Well, after the break, it isn't just your imagination, no. The Snap Spook Special. Stay tuned. (laughs) Welcome back. To the Snap Judgment Spooked Nevermore episode this week. Real stories from real people who can scarcely believe it happened themselves from our evil twin podcast, Spooked. And next up, we're focusing on clarity. Clarity, understanding. We're all trying to make sense of things that make no sense. And T.I. T.I. is growing up in the house where her family has lived for four generations. It's 
dark house, a chaotic house. And our story starts when T.I. and her sister Kate are moving into their own bedroom for the first time. Spooked. so excited to have our own room. We shared a small dresser and got a double bed. And I remember just feeling so big. But I had never spent any time in that room before. As we were putting things away for the very first time, I remember being really uncomfortable about that space. And I didn't know why. From the very beginning, we would obsess with making sure that the closet door was closed at night. I would check, Kate would check, we'd get back in bed, and then we would pull the blankets up, press our backs against one another, tuck our hands inside, close our eyes, and whisper, sleep, sleep, together in unison until we fell asleep so that we would fall asleep simultaneously. One night, for some reason, I woke up wide awake. I didn't want to wake Kate up. She would not be happy if I woke her up, so I laid there listening. My parents would often watch television after we all were in bed. I didn't hear the television. I tried to listen for cars, and I couldn't even hear any cars. So I knew it was really late. Right across from me was the closet door. As I was looking, I heard the the click of when you turn a door and the little latch thing gives I looked away. I didn't want to see it. I did not want to see what was happening. When I glanced back around, I noticed that the closet door was open probably a good third of the way. My heart stopped. I sensed that somebody was in the closet. I watched this figure come out to the edge of the doorframe, and he was looking right at me. I closed my eyes to make him think that I was sleeping, but I was watching through my eyelashes. This guy had sideburns down to his jaw almost, and he was wearing a white shirt. It had sleeves that gathered at his wrist, and he had his hands in front of him, and he was wringing his hands back and forth. 
he slid just a little bit more forward so the light caught his eyes. I just watched him wring his hands. All of a sudden, my feeling changed. I was no longer afraid. I felt what he was feeling. Really, really sad. Sadder than I had ever, ever felt in my whole life. Tears falling out of the corners of my eyes down my face and my ears. I have no idea how long we were there, but I fell asleep. When I woke up, I was back to back with Kate. And I was like, oh. It was just a dream. Thank goodness it was just a dream. She was still sleeping. I turned over and I looked. And that closet door was open. It wasn't a dream. It had really happened. After that, I started to wake up more often in the middle of the night. As soon as I woke up, I knew that he was going to be there and that I was going to be feeling this again. It wasn't every day, maybe not even every week, but regularly enough that I dreaded going to bed. Sometimes we wish our dreams could come true. Not this time. Our story continues right after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Snap Judgment Spook Spectacular Nevermore. My name is Glenn Washington, and this week, we're featuring supernatural stories from our evil twin podcast, Spooked. When last we left, T.I. just seen a man exit her bedroom closet and hoped it had all been a dream. But her closet door was open, and T.I. knew what she saw. Spooked. I told my mother once, and she told me I was having bad dreams. She put perfume under my pillow so I would have sweet dreams, but my dream wasn't opening that door. I was not getting out of bed and opening that door. I thought to block the door some way so that it would be harder to open. I took a small stack of books and placed them up against the closet door. But When I would wake, it would be open, even if there were books there. It didn't matter. 
This had been going on intermittently for a few months when one night I began to wake up. But I had not opened up my eyes yet. I felt somebody right next to the bed. I knew it wasn't the man from the closet because he never left the closet. And it also felt completely different. You could tell when someone loves you, just the vibe they give. And it was clearly someone who loved me. I heard her voice in my left ear. It was a lady's voice, very soft, very soothing. And she said, Don't open your eyes. I didn't. And she said, Lift out, lift up, and come with me. And I knew exactly what she meant. I felt my energy lift up above my skin on my body and I inhaled and then as I exhaled I would push a little more until I felt myself like go to a little bop. It was this lightness of me that lifted up and I was now above my body. It almost felt like when You're asleep in the back seat of the car, and your dad comes and picks you up to carry you in the house. It felt a little like that. And the next thing I knew, I was standing out in front of the house. How am I here? Am I dreaming this, or is this real? It was the most amazing feeling. I just, I was out of that house. And I could not feel the grief of the man in the closet. I could see my house. I could see the front steps. I could see the cars up and down the street. There was no one else around. I was standing in the grass, but I could not feel the grass under my bare feet. I was so light I could fly. And I did. I took two steps forward, and then I leapt up, just barely above the ground. But I just stayed there. And then I landed so lightly, I decided to run and take off to see how high I could go. I went as high as the roof, doing loops and circles and bouncing around. I decided I didn't think it was a dream because I was making choices, conscious choices of what I was doing. Then I noticed that the sky was starting to get light. So I landed down 
on our driveway. And I looked up in those dark windows and I wondered how I was going to get back inside. Then I knew that my guardian angel was nearby again, just off to my right. I heard her say, It's okay, just fall back in. I have no idea how I knew what she meant, but I did. All of a sudden, I felt myself falling really fast. And then, boom, I landed in my body. And I woke startled. I felt so good. It was light outside, and the birds were singing, and I had escaped the man from the closet. When Kate woke up, I was sitting up so happy, and I said, Oh my gosh, Kate, last night I went outside and I was flying. And she said, Oh, you're a big fat liar. After that first night, I never felt my guardian angel again. But a few nights later, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I knew that that man was in the closet waiting for me to wake up. I just did what she had showed me how to do, and it was so easy. I just lifted up, and out I went. At first, I just stayed in the yard, and then I would go to my grandmother's yard next door and to the cherry tree, and then I could go to the park. I was flying around the jungle gym. I could see the birds in the nests. I was in this secret place that no one else could ever see. I told my mom that I was flying, and she said, I love flying dreams. But this was so different than any dream that I ever had. I explained to my friends what I was doing, and they were like, it's just your imagination, you know, you're just... And I'm like, no, I really think that this is for real. We were all sitting in my backyard, probably five or six friends all sitting around, and they're going to go over to Ted's basement and play records. I said, go ahead and go, and I'll go with you. My body can stay here, but my consciousness can go and see it in Ted's basement. They were like, yeah, right, yeah, (laughs) that's great, okay, well, whatever. And I said, go, and I'll tell you what you do when you're there, when you come back. They go, and I'm sitting out there in the yard. I just begin to lift myself out. I was there as they were coming down the stairs. I saw the record that they put on the record player. It was Jethro Tull, Aqualung. There was a tin can with those pull tabs, you know, all when you used to pull the pull tab off of the can. 
and my friend Luann was linking them together, making a pull tab chain. I was there probably 30 minutes. And then I all of a sudden was back in my body. The next time we were all together, I told him about the pop-top chain. Their mouths just dropped open. Couple looked as if they were, like, scared of me, like I could come spy on them. Some asked me questions. I just told them that it's something I've been able to do since I was little. Right around this time, I started to get a really bad headache. I recall being in bed, not being able to lift my head. It was so intense that even the pillow hurt the skin of my head. My mom, she took my temperature, and I had a fever. It's over 104. Shivers, sweats, body aches. It was three weeks I was out of school. After several months, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. I was in and out of wheelchairs. I had multiple surgeries on my knees. After they had stopped the pain medication, after one of the surgeries, they had to push gauze into this wound in my knee. I was fully awake and conscious. As they start the procedure and I'm feeling this pain, I started to hum, and I hummed. I remember it wasn't as easy to leave because when you're having pain, it keeps drawing your attention to that place in your body. My body was slamming me back in until out I went, and it was like, oh, phew. I was out. I could see what they were doing. I watched this whole procedure without feeling it. When it was over, I just slipped back into myself and opened my eyes. The nurse right by my head said, Wow, you are so brave. And I said, yeah, I didn't feel a thing. (laughs) I ended up moving to Michigan after the last surgery and lived there. I got married, and I had four children. As I got older, the pain got better, and I was able to do more and more. I could walk, and I was not in pain. I no longer needed to leave my body. This one night, I went to sleep, and I dreamed an entire day from my childhood, from when I was a little girl, about five years old. After I woke up, I decided that I was going to leave my body and go back to that house. I was just curious. 
laid back down. I just did my breath work to push myself out. And boom, I'm standing in front of my house. I look up and it looks exactly the same. And I saw the pink and white station wagon that was my family car in the driveway. I am not in the present. I decided to go in. And there I was standing in the living room. I saw the ashtray on the coffee table. I saw the stain on the couch, the lampshade that had a little bitty tear along the, the bottom rim. My parents' room was off of a hallway next to the stairs on the main floor. I went to their room and the door was open and I went to the door and I saw them in their bed, spooning. They were so young. And I just loved them so much. I moved from their room down the hallway, and then to the right was this little alcove that went into my room. I'm in my bedroom, looking down at myself and my sister. I just felt so much love. Can you imagine really seeing yourself as a little child? That's when I started to feel the darkness move in. I sensed that man was right behind the closet door. I looked down, and my little self was going, you know, making noise and moving a little bit, starting to wake up just as I noticed that the doorknob is starting to turn, I knew what I was going to do. I leaned down and I whispered, Don't open your eyes. Lift up, lift out, and come with me. did not want him to come disturb this little sleeping girl again. And I said, don't look. Come with me instead. And she did. And then I did. And then I knew how to do it forever. I was the one who taught me how to do that. I was my own guardian angel. T.I. Shippers for sharing her story. You can find more of her creepy tales on YouTube where she goes by Spooky Miss T.I. That's Spooky Miss 
T-I-Y-I. Original score for this story is by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Ann Ford. Now, if you dug the stories you just heard, know this. The Spook Podcast is available each and every week on each and every podcast platform. Be afraid. The Spooked is brought to you by the team that knows all too well the difference between dream and reality. Except, of course, for Mark Ristich. He gets very angry if you don't remember the conversation he had with you while he was dreaming. There's Davey Kim, Zoe Frigno, Ann Ford, Eric Yanez, Teo Ducat, Marissa Dodge, Leon Morimoto, Miles Lassie, Yari Bundy, Doug Stewart. The spook theme song is by Pat Masidi Miller. My name is from Washington. And because every long journey begins with a single step, I bow to start with the simplest, most basic of actions to walk this path, which is to never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never turn out the lights. <laughs>